I heard this joke one time. I don't remember who said it or where I heard it, and I'll probably butcher it, but it goes something like this. A guy falls off a cliff, spiraling down to his ultimate demise. Then suddenly, just as he's about to collide with the ground, Superman swoops in and saves him. This guy's delighted. He's not going to die after all. But then, for some unknown reason, Superman flies him up higher than he was before and drops him. You can imagine how it ends. It's a morbid little antidote, I know. And if you laughed at it, then you and I probably have a similar sense of humor. Anyway, I tell that because when I tried tapping into how Washington Senators fans probably felt when they learned their beloved baseball team was being taken away again, that's the first thing that came to mind. In 1971, the Washington Senators played their final game at RFK Stadium after owner Bob Short decided to move the team to Texas. And the fans didn't take it well. Some youngsters are coming out on the field. This will not be a complete game unless they get back. This will not be a complete game unless they get back. So we certainly hope that this ball game can be concluded. Sounds pretty interesting, doesn't it? Well, that's the focus of this episode of Obscure Ball. But before we get into the whole nitty-gritty of it all, I need everyone to do me a favor and check out smallleaguestude.com. That's the website for my digital production service, Small League Productions. And if you don't check it out now, maybe write it down or follow the link in the show notes. Basically, I provide an array of services for various podcasters. I also do voiceovers. So if you need help with like a Kickstarter campaign or maybe a video sales letter, hit me up smallleaguesdude.com. Maybe we can connect sometime. All right, now onto this episode. I'm calling this episode Bob Short Stinks. It was September 30th, 1971, and two baseball teams played a baseball game. Well, to be fair, 18 teams played baseball games that day, and when the day started, it really could have been one of the least important days in baseball history but I find it pretty interesting. It was the last day of the season, and the playoffs were basically set, and only one game that day really mattered. All eyes were on the Los Angeles Dodgers and San Francisco Giants. It boiled down to this. If the Dodgers won and the Giants lost, then they'd be tied and have to play a playoff. It ended up not mattering because both teams won, and the Giants won their division. So not real crazy as far as Game 162 scenarios go. And that's where that part of the story ends for us, and we look now to an otherwise meaningless game between the Washington Senators and New York Yankees. This is a Senators team that was well below 500 for the second year running. Very mediocre, not interesting Yankees team. I mean, this Yankees team bore no resemblance to the great Yankees teams of the 60s, and no resemblance really, with the exception of a couple players, to the great Yankees teams of the mid to late 70s. That's Dan Epstein. Dan is a freelance journalist and writer who's mostly covered music during his career, but he writes about baseball too. His work has appeared in publications like Rolling Stone, and he's the author of the book Big Hair Plastic Grass, a funky ride through baseball in America in the swinging 70s. So basically, he's a perfect guest for this podcast. We met up at a craft brewery, hence the background noise. It's one of those hip spots with cool tables and chairs, a chessboard that nobody was using, Glass windows so you can watch the people make the beer, a pretty good beer selection, and a classic rock playlist, as you might can tell. Anyway, Dan is the guy to talk to when it comes to weird baseball things from the 70s. 
so he really helped provide some insight into this whole situation. The thing is, DC already kinda sorta lost their team about a decade earlier when they moved to Minnesota to become the Twins. But the league intervened. Here's Dan again. Rather than let DC go without a team, MLB immediately instituted an expansion senators for 61. It was different players, different ownership, different franchise essentially, but if you were a Senators fan, there was no break in the action. And they were just as bad as the team that had left. He's right. I looked this up because they weren't just bad in 1971. In the decade prior, Washington had just one winning season, which oddly enough had very little to do with the team moving. That's where owner Bob Short comes in. He wasn't at the bar with us that day because he's been dead since 1982 and probably wouldn't want to hang out with me and Dan anyway. But he was still a frequent topic of discussion while we drank our craft beer. Robert Earl Short was a prominent lawyer, businessman, and aspiring politician who made his wealth practicing law and investing in various companies. He struck gold when he bought a small trucking line called Mueller Transportation, which he turned into Admiral Merchants Motor Freight, a company that's still in business to this very day. He also made several attempts at running for public office, none of which proved successful but he was still pretty good at doing business, apparently. Short eventually got into the real estate and hotel business and bought the Minneapolis Lakers. Turns out, moving sport franchises was kind of his thing because he moved the Lakers to LA in 1960. He later sold the team to Jack Kent Cooke at a huge profit, and they became the powerhouse that they are today. So that was going to be his new business model. Buy a struggling franchise, move them to a better market, and enjoy the profits. Then in 1968, there was a somewhat new expansion team for sale, the Washington Senators, and Short wanted in. Oddly enough, comedian Bob Hope also wanted to buy the team, and in the ensuing bidding war of the two Bobs, it was Short who won out. But with Bob Short now at the helm, his honeymoon in D.C. didn't last very long. Again, Dan Epstein. Pretty much from the minute he'd taken over the team, was constantly locking horns with them over the arrangement. And, and you know, he was shorting them, no pun intended, on rent. They were, there was even one point where they were threatening to turn the lights off on him so that they could, the senators couldn't play night baseball there because he was slow on paying them the rent. And Texas was ready to welcome the team with open arms. Now, obviously, Arlington, Dallas, Fort Worth, not a major sports market, but what they had was a ballpark called Turnpike Stadium, which was a minor league park, but they had been, even before Short was interested in moving them there, the local politicians had been kind of spoiling to bring a major league team to town. They'd already passed a funding measure to expand the, the ballpark they had. So it was just like they are just waiting for an unhappy Major League owner to pull the team and, you know, and they rolled out the welcome mat. And in the case of Bob Short, the welcome mat was, we will let you play in this ballpark for a dollar a year. That's a pretty good deal. Even with inflation, that would still be like $5.20 today. And yeah, I looked that up. I don't just know a lot of things about inflation. But anyway, that's basically the backstory here. An unhappy team owner, a bad team, and now a fan base who's gotten wind of the deal, and now they too are unhappy. And that brings us to this game on September 30th.
so with the stage set, Dick Bosman, that's kind of a funny name, got the nod for the Senators and quickly gave up two runs in the first inning. A home run to Rusty Torres, just his second all year, and an RBI single by John Ellis put the Yankees up 2-0. The Yankees scored two more in the top of the second when Bobby Mercer pelted a two-run shot, his 25th homer of the season. 4-0 Yankees. Washington hit back on the bottom of the second after Dave Nelson singled and then scored on a throwing error by Yankee shortstop Frank Baker. 4-1 New York. After two scoreless innings, New York extended their lead when left fielder Roy White clobbered his 19th home run of the year. It's now 5-1 New York. It was looking pretty bleak at this point, and sadly seemed like kind of a fitting end to the Senators' time in D.C. But then... Frank Howard, who is you know known as the Capital Punisher, who is the six foot seven slugger for the for the Senators, and each time he comes up, standing ovation, doesn't do anything his first two times up, but his third time up, he hits this gargantuan home run, place just goes crazy, uh, interrupts the game with like a five minute standing ovation for him. He comes out, does a curtain call, tips his his batting helmet. In fact, Howard was pretty much the only good thing about the Senators that year and pretty much every year while he played there. He led the team that season with 26 home runs. No one else was even close, and he had twice led the league with 44 homers, including just a year earlier. And to Dan's point, the team and the fans seemed to rally around him. Dick Billing singled after Howard, followed by a single from Jeff Burroughs. Don't worry about who these guys are, because they really aren't that important to the narrative. The Yankees pulled their starter, Mike Kekic, and then brought in a reliever named Jack Aker. He doesn't fare any better and promptly gives up three more runs to players who probably would not have started on any other team. The game is now tied at five, and finally, Aker gets out of the inning, and the score would remain tied until the bottom of the eighth. Nelson again benefited from an E6, and for those of you keeping score at home, that was Baker's second error of the game. Nelson stole second and scored. And then because this Yankees team also wasn't awesome, third baseman Ron Hansen booted a ground ball by a guy named Tom Ragland. Ragland? <laughs> so now there were two runners on when Tommy McCraw slapped a single into right field, scoring Nelson. 6-5 Senators. Ragland scored on a sack fly to pad the lead 7-5, and the Senators go into the ninth inning with a chance to actually win it. I mean, here's this team that's been through hell. They haven't been good in a long time, but they get a chance to win it in front of their home crowd one last time. But then... The players now are clearing the field. As pandemonium has broken loose, and the field is filled with many souvenir hunters. The Senators lead 7-5 to five with two outs. Police are trying to restore order but the crowd continues to mill all around the field. And that, my friends, is what a riot sounds like over a 1970s radio broadcast. Maybe it's like spring semester of senior year or something like that, but these fans, they don't give a crap. They're going to raise hell. It's also worth pointing out that the 14,460 fans in attendance that day had been unruly from the words play ball. They're holding signs saying short stinks and fuck you short and all the all this uh you know like like they're angry they're you know they're not happy to see the senators leaving but they they're also like wanting to give their favorite players a good send-off maybe it was a cruel twist of fate or a sinister plot by those very fans 
but with two outs in the ninth inning, Washington closer Joe Grazenda just needed one more out. Just one. And then Horace Clark, the Yankees' second baseman, is stepping up to to the plate, and Grazenda knows that there's going to be trouble, so he's yelling at Horace Clark to get into the batter's box as quickly as possible so they can get this over with. But before he can even throw a pitch, the kid runs out and tries to steal second, and that's the signal to everybody else in the crowd that it's like, it's, you know, time to go off. At that point, it was just like, screw it. Let's, let's run out. Let's grab some souvenirs. The senators are leaving. There's nothing we can do about it. Let's grab some dirt from the mound. Let's grab some letters off the scoreboard, grab bases, what have you. I think, I think home plate and the pitcher's rubber were the only things that, were, that they were not able to run off with. Uh, you know, any concerted effort was being done to remove those. The security guards had circled both items. Game over. Even though the Senators led 7-5, the game was forfeited and the Yankees officially won. Washington would end their tenure in the nation's capital with a loss, going 63-96 for that final season. And Bob Short, he was watching the game from Minnesota and was probably wise not to show up at RFK that day. Though some Washington fans might take comfort in the fact that when the team moved to Texas to become the Texas Rangers, they lose 100 games or more each of their first two years there. Misery does enjoy company, after all. Short sold the team in 1974 and was effectively retired until his death in 1982 at the age of 65. You know, they say time heals all things, but that might not always be true. Washington, D.C. was without professional baseball until 2005 when the Montreal Expos moved to the Beltway to become the Washington Nationals. In 2007, exactly 36 years to the day of this insane event, the Nats played their final game in RFK Stadium before they moved to their new park. And during a 6-1 win over the Philadelphia Phillies, some fans unfurled a banner that read, Bob Short Still Stinks. Fans could be pretty interesting sometimes, because they're just that, fanatics. I've covered Tencent Beer Night for this podcast, and like I mentioned in that episode, I was at the 2012 wildcard game between the Braves and Cardinals when fans trashed the field on that botched infield fly call. I didn't throw any trash because, well, I'm not a barbarian. I left the stadium that night feeling rather puzzled because I couldn't understand what drives people to that level of madness. I mean, yeah, I was pissed about the game too, and it was a really terrible call but I wouldn't hurl trash at people, much less storm the playing field. Why would people act this insane? I probably still don't have an answer for that, and there's a good chance I never will. But I think I do have a sense as to why fans might take something like relocating the team so personally. It actually occurred to me that day in the bar with Dan, and I'm not just saying that. I asked him the same question I ask just about every baseball fan I ever talked to, which is, what was your first major league game like? I get, get chills just thinking about it. First time, I remember the date, May 30th, 1976, Yankees Tigers at Tiger Stadium, old Tiger Stadium. And I will never forget walking in because it was like seeing the greenest grass they've ever seen. And that was part of it. And But it was also like 
The place was so old. Steel girders and wooden seats and just smelled like hot dog water and cigar smoke, disappointment. And I mean, it just like had such a vibe. As little as, as I understood about baseball history at that point, I still understood that people had been playing there for, you know, 60 years. Babe Ruth had hit home runs there. You know, Lou Gehrig had penciled himself out of the lineup there. Look, just to be clear, I'm not saying Dan would ever participate in a riot. He's a very kind and gentle person from what I can tell. But you can kind of get a sense of how passionate fans, and especially baseball fans, can be about their team, their city, and their stadium. What I do find fascinating about this, this riot was maybe this wasn't the best way for the fans to express their dissatisfaction. But I think like there's a long, long history in baseball of fans being screwed over by baseball owners. And so like this is one of the few times where the fans got their own back a bit. And that, you know, it always makes me happy to revisit this chapter because it's like, yeah, right on. You guys, like, you know, you, you guys gave the finger to Short. You gave the finger to Major League Baseball. And let's remember that baseball fans do have a voice and they should be willing to exercise it. A big thanks to Dan Epstein for helping out with this episode of Obscure Ball. His book, Big Hair Plastic Grass, is now available as an audiobook via Blackstone Audio. And you can check out his website at BigHairPlasticGrass.com where you can read some of his work as well as order his books. And that'll do it for this episode of Obscure Ball. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and check back soon because I'll have a new episode soonish. <laughs>